0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the case of George Clarence Seitz in Queens, New York. Let's get right to it. According to the city.nyc, on any given year, dispatchers in the city of New York can take upwards of one million calls on average. In 2019, data collected by CompStat showed that of that roughly one million calls, the NYPD responded to nearly 500,000 and made over 200,000 arrests. Of course, the majority of the other half a million calls were medical emergencies which didn't require a police response, and a handful or more of complete bullshit calls made by a Karen or a Chad with way too much time on their hands. Seriously, while researching the data, I found an article in the New York Daily News about a woman in the Bronx who made over 24,000 fake 911 calls. In the span of just over five months, claiming everything from non existent fires to fraudulent robberies and sometimes calling just to cuss out a dispatcher. In early November of 2019, this 38 year old woman was arrested and charged with making a false report, aggravated harassment, and obstruction of government administration. On the day she was arrested, Not only had she made 200 bogus calls to 911 that day alone from her burner phone, this lady was actually on the phone with FDNY, reporting a fire in the basement of a building across the street from her home when police showed up to take her to jail. A fire that, of course, wasn't actually happening. After her arrest, she claimed that the NYPD had hired a gang member to stalk her for nine years and that they were corrupt. Sure, they were stalking her. I tell you all this just to say, the NYPD deals with some crazy calls pretty routinely. I mean, all departments do, but in a city the size of New York, dispatchers and officers deal with everything from prank calls to real heart-pounding emergencies all in a single shift, and they're expected to handle both with professionalism and the same level of care. While they've likely heard just about everything under the sun, no two calls are exactly the same, and it definitely isn't every day. A call comes in that sets an investigation in motion to solve a nearly 50-year-old missing persons case. However, in March of 2019, that's exactly what happened. It was Monday, March 11th to be exact, when according to CBS News, a call came into the New York Police Department. On the line was a woman who had carried the weight of what she witnessed as a child for decades. Something she never, no matter how hard she tried, had been able to get out of her head and she was finally ready to tell police everything she knew. The woman claimed that one night around 1970, she had woken up in the middle of the night and witnessed her mother's boyfriend cutting up a body, putting it in bags, and burying it in the backyard of the home she lived in right there in Queens. That call was routed to 102 Precinct Detective Eric Contreus who immediately began making arrangements to investigate the woman's claims. 24 hours later, that neighborhood in Richmond Hill, Queens, was suddenly swarming with police, mobile crime scene units, and flashing lights, and it all centered around the backyard of a small townhouse at 87-72, 115th Street. Longtime residents were shocked to watch officials cordon off sections of their neighborhood. Many neighbors wondered if there was really a body, and if so, how someone could have buried a body right there without raising any alarm, since the brightly colored townhomes lining the street practically touch one another, and the backyards are small patches of grass. One neighbor, John, who lived behind the home and had for more than 40 years, spoke to the New York Times and revealed that 87-72 had been a rental property for about as long as he had been there, with multiple tenants. He went on to say that in the 1970s, it had attracted really bad guys, who had broken into his home repeatedly. He finally put an end to the burglaries by installing a six-foot chain-link fence. John went on to describe to the outlet the moment police had located something in his neighbor's backyard, recalling that he witnessed a police dog sweeping over the lot. The canine then stopped in the middle of the yard, barked, and began digging, as 13 officers quickly made their way to the dog and also began digging with shovels. The man then overheard one officer say, hey, and everything stopped they found something neighbor john told the outlet and he was right on tuesday march 12 2019 at 11:30 a.m. investigators located human skeletal remains in that backyard according to a police source that spoke to abc news they had found two bags containing bones According to the district attorney's office, the bags contained a pelvis and a partial torso, which had been found in the yard under a concrete slab. Initially, investigators were pretty tight-lipped about the discovery, only revealing that it was that tip that had led them to the backyard, and that they believed the bones did in fact date back to the 1970s. The bones would have to be sent off for DNA testing, to determine who exactly the victim was, because all they knew at this point was he was a male and his body had been dismembered at the neck, shoulders, and hips. While investigators weren't revealing much to the public at this point, they did know a hell of a lot more than they were willing to say. In fact, they already had their sights on a suspect. As it turned out, that caller had disclosed a very detailed account of what she had witnessed that night to detectives. According to reports from Yahoo News, WCBS-TV, and the Associated Press, the woman recounted that not only had she seen her mother's at-the-time boyfriend bury a body in the yard, she had witnessed him dismember the man's body inside of his barbershop and then feed what she believed were body parts to a dog before burying what was left of the man's body in the backyard. And further, she wasn't the only one who had witnessed this horrific scene. But no one had spoken up, because the man had threatened that if they said anything, they too would end up buried in the backyard next to the victim. So for 43 years, no one so much as breathed a word. It sounded like a crazy story, but everything the woman had said was backed up by evidence at the scene. Since the woman didn't know who the victim was, investigators wanted to learn all they could about the suspect, and she knew enough to set them down the right path. In 1976, 29-year-old Martin Mata lived at the home at 115th Street and owned a barbershop in the nearby neighborhood of Jamaica. He had previously had several run-ins with law enforcement, but nothing this violent. Investigators spoke to other witnesses and began to track down leads. They learned that Martin Mata was a pretty rough character. But no one they spoke to was initially able to tell them anything about the victim. And DNA testing provided no clues either, at least not at first. DNA from the body was processed through CODIS and pretty much every other known data bank with no results. But the NYPD wasn't about to give up that easily. According to a press release from the Queens District Attorney's Office, Detectives with the NYPD, the DA's investigators, and the FBI sent DNA samples to a private lab in Houston, Texas, known as Othram Labs, which according to its website, specializes in advanced DNA analysis. Once the skeletal remains arrived at Othram, they got right to work, using new technology known as forensic-grade genome sequencing along with what they call proprietary human enrichment techniques. They were able to build a comprehensive genealogical profile in February of 2021. That DNA profile was returned to the New York City FBI office. Special agents Adrian Corson and Lori Giardiano used the profile to perform an exhaustive genealogical search and to build out family trees for genetic matches. The agents then narrowed in on the unknown man's identity and returned these leads to the Queen's DA's office. According to that press release from the DA, investigators then began to contact potential family members of the victim and obtain DNA samples for comparison to the discovered remains. Finally, the unknown homicide victim had a name. The remains found were confirmed to be those of George Clarence Seitz, an 81-year-old veteran of World War I who had gone missing on December 10, 1976, a veteran whose missing persons case had long been forgotten by most, a war hero who had been murdered, dismembered, his body buried in a grave in Martin Mata's backyard where it had remained for 43 years, many of his family members going to their graves, never knowing what had happened to George. Forensic artists completed a sketch of what George sites would have looked like back when he vanished in 1976, asking anyone with information to come forward. The sketch also served as a reminder that at the time of his murder, George Seitz was an 81-year-old man, with thick black frame glasses, frosty white hair, and a thin frame. A far cry from the picture circulating in the media of a young and fit George Seitz in his military uniform. No shade at the media here. The fact was that not many pictures of Mr. Seitz existed, so they went with what was available. In contrast, the photos of the suspect, Martin Mata, which were later released, were that of a man in his 70s, not the young 29-year-old man he had been when he had preyed upon the aging veteran. It was all bad enough, but the fact that Mata had attacked a senior citizen who had proudly served his country, who should have spent the rest of his life enjoying all the things he had worked for, somehow made it feel worse. And it begged the question, what was the connection between an 81-year-old war hero and an at-the-time 29-year-old scumbag Martin Mata? After an extensive investigation spanning five states, multiple witnesses, and countless records, detectives with the NYPD and the Queens DA's office uncovered the details of George Clarence Site's disappearance and murder that had been buried for all those years, and the connection between the two men. George Seitz had last been seen at approximately 10 a.m. on December 10, 1976, leaving his home in Jamaica, reportedly on his way to get a haircut. You see, Mr. Seitz was a regular customer at Martin Mata's Barbershop, Haircutter's, which was owned and operated from the late 1970s to the 1980s by Mata and his brother. The shop was located just two and a half blocks from George's home. According to the Daily Beast, detectives believed that George Seitz had suffered from PTSD from what he had witnessed serving in World War I. And remember, this was way before anyone even remotely knew anything about the condition. In fact, the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder didn't even come into existence until 1980, when the American Psychiatric Association added it to the DSM. Before that, the term shell shock was often used to describe the trauma military men faced after returning from war, but treatment to help with the symptoms was all but non-existent. The trauma George Seitz had experienced, along with the lack of treatment, had caused him to become a tad bit reclusive. But when George did decide to leave his home in Queens, he always did so with style, often walking through the neighborhood in business suits. Mr. Seitz was also known to carry large amounts of cash on him. As we know, he was from a different time and generation and had a distrust for the banking industry. Not that it wasn't warranted. I mean, he had lived through the stock market crash of 1929, and the failure of the American banks, and the hell that had followed. Mr. Seitz preferred to keep his hard-earned cash on him, often carrying thousands of dollars in his pocket, pulling out a roll of money whenever he needed to pay for something. And word must have gotten around because investigators believed he had been targeted and this was the motive for the murder. George Seitz had been attacked not long after he made it to Martin Mata's barbershop. Mata had fatally stabbed him in the head after robbing him of approximately seven dollars to $8,000, which would be around thirty-five dollars to $40,000 in today's money. He had then dismembered his body. According to District Attorney Ross, he left his severed head in the garbage and discarded his limbs around Queens, ultimately burying what was left of George Seitz's body beneath concrete slabs in the backyard. He threatened everyone around him that they would end up buried in the backyard unless they kept their mouths shut. And so they did, for decades. On the other hand, George Seitz's family was desperately searching for him after that December day in 1976. And five days with no sign of him, they officially reported him missing. But for years, their search led nowhere. That was, of course, until that phone call in 2019, when a woman who had been a child when she had witnessed the disposal of the veteran's body told detectives everything. Two and a half years after that call and an exhaustive investigation, on November 3, 2019, 74-year-old Martin Mata was arrested and charged with the second-degree murder of George Clarence Seitz. District Attorney Melinda Katz spoke at a press conference on the day of the arrest and said, After 45 years, the alleged killer of a World War I veteran is being held accountable and brought to justice. We hope the identification of the remains and the indictment in this case will begin to bring peace and closure to his loved ones. This indictment serves as an example of how police and prosecutors work together to bring individuals alleged to have committed crimes to justice, regardless of how much time passes or how many obstacles are placed in our path. At the press conference, officials went on to announce that genetic genealogy is what had finally led to solving George Site’s murder case, and that this was the first time the technology had been used to solve a crime in New York City. But going forward, it definitely wouldn't be the last. After nearly 50 years, the man responsible for George Clarence Site’s disappearance and murder was finally going to be held accountable. It was a bittersweet moment, because although Mata was finally in cuffs, he had the opportunity to grow old, get married, have children, and live his life, after so brutally robbing George Sites of his final years. In October of 2022, Martin Mata pled guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter, at his sentencing, although he did accept responsibility for the murder, he sat emotionless in the courtroom, never offering any apology or explanation to members of Seitz's family who were present. Before announcing his sentence, Queen's Supreme Court Justice Kenneth C. Holder referred to Mata as Queen's own Jeffrey Dahmer Light and added that he hoped Mata's time in prison would be, quote, hard, terrible years. George Site's maternal niece, Gertrude Jones, also addressed Mata at sentencing, stating in part, my mother died never knowing what had happened to her brother. My hope is each day you spend in prison, you will think of your evil actions and the suffering my uncle must have endured. Judge Holder eventually sentenced Martin Mata to 20 years in prison essentially for him, a life sentence. That sentence was handed down on November 7th, 2022, just four days before Veterans Day, a fact District Attorney Katz found fitting as she spoke to the media. George Clarence Seitz was finally laid to rest and given a proper military burial. As always, you can find more information on this case Or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcasts. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you an all new case next week and I can't wait. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash to support the show today. One more quick thing before we go. I am exactly 10 reviews away from 200 on Apple Podcasts. If you love the show but haven't yet left a review and have a minute or two, please consider leaving one today. It would totally make my week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.